Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show where we demonstrate that everything, and I mean simply everything you can possibly think of, has its own history, like aardvarks, cheese, and goalposts. Goalposts? We will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. I'm still stuck on this idea of goalposts having a history, but who knew that the history of wheels is in fact all about the Italian Renaissance, or that the history of hiding is in fact about Elizabeth I and Catholicism. I'm looking forward to doing that one. It was basically a massive game of hide-and-seek. It is, yes. (laughs) The man sitting opposite me who will help pilot us through this wonderful historical world is one of the country's leading professors of history. You're very lucky he's here talking to you. It's James Daybell. Hi, James. Hello, everyone, and I am delighted to be here. And the man sitting not opposite me, because he is on the other side of town, he is the famous historical adventurer himself, the wonderful Dr Sam Willis. And you are extraordinarily lucky that he is on the airwaves talking to you. Hello, Sam. Hello, James. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm missing my adventuring. I haven't been to China for a very long time. Oh, I'd like to go dear. back. Um, this is another episode, guys, in our special series of homeschooling for kids. I hope you're enjoying them. We are massively enjoying recording them. I don't think we're going to do anything else for a while. Um, <laughs> and each episode, we take a subject that I bet you don't think has a history. And what we do is we prove that it does. And today, well, this might be a slightly tricky one for some of you because we're doing the history of bullies. Oh, I dislike bullies. <laughs> I dislike bullies. How do, we, how do we start with the history of bullies, James? Well, you could start with looking at the history of education. And you could start by looking, actually, at the history of bullies at school. Um, people's experiences of being bullied and what they did to bullies. My father always told me to stand up to bullies. I did this on one occasion and I got thrown in a pond. Um, not a very <laughs> wise thing to do. Oh, no, poor you. That's terrible. I know. It is terrible. <laughs> But if we were thinking about it in another way, you could think about people who were in their jobs, in their careers, in their roles, bullies. So we could think about somebody like Mussolini or Henry VIII. Henry VIII was a very sort of bullyish man, if such is a word, Um, but somebody that people were frightened of. So it's people who push people around. You could also look at it in terms of colonisation or imperialism. So the way in which the British Empire put out its tentacles around the world and basically bullied different different countries. Or you could think about it in terms of slavery and the slave trade. And we've done something on the slave trade already in this homeschooling series. But you could think about how people have basically bullied individuals and groups of people throughout history. Yeah, it's about being nasty to someone or imposing your view on them. I've read something recently about Henry VIII burning French villages during his wars in France in the 1540s um, for no kind of principal strategic reason, just to, to impose himself. 
The British Empire is a really good one, isn't it? If you think about what happened between oh, the uh, late 17th century and 1900, the expansion of the empire. By 1900, Queen Victoria ruled over 13 million square miles of territory. It's about a quarter of the world's surface. And I promise you, the British did not do that by being nice. No, that's a lot of a lot of area to bully over, isn't it? And Henry uh, yes. VIII, Henry VIII, it's not just burning villages, but Henry VIII was extraordinarily nasty to people. I mean, this is a man who executed wives, had their heads chopped off, executed his best friends, his closest advisers, people who'd worked with him for years. The man is a total and utter bully, and we should do a special episode on Henry VIII. I think, Sam. Yes, well, you can either do it on bullies or something like arrogance, can't we? Arrogant. Oh, arrogance is a good one. Excellent. Yeah. Um, and the other Henry. ones which we've written about as well as the Vikings. Now, they're, they're proper bullies as well. The early, um, the early years of Viking expansion, the 790s. So um, very, very long time ago. I've got a little extract of here. This was written by uh, the scholar and clergyman Alcuin of York. Mm. He wrote to King Ethelred of Northumbria and he describes a raid on Lindisfarne. Um, which is, which is a little religious place full of monks. Lo, it is nearly 350 years that we and our fathers have inhabited this most lovely land, and never before has such terror appeared in Britain as we now have suffered from a pagan race, nor was it thought that such an inroad from the sea could be made. Behold the church of St Cuthbert spattered with the blood of the priests of God, despoiled of all its ornaments. A place more venerable than all in Britain is given as a prey to pagan peoples. Now we know that the Vikings went on to, um, actually a lot of the time, being peaceful farmers and peaceful traders, but they certainly didn't start off like that. And the whole of the Viking Empire really began with some, some serious maritime bullying. But today we're going to be looking at the history of bullying um, in another aspect, aren't we, James? We are, Sam. We are. We're going to be looking at Nazi Germany, aren't we? So, yes, we're going to be talking about it in relation to the Nazis. Very important period in Germany in the aftermath of the First World War. Um, you have the Weimar Republic and then the rise of the Nazis, all building up to Hitler becoming Chancellor in 1933. So what you need to remember, we've done an episode actually on the history of blame. So listen to that about the Versailles Treaty. It's absolutely crucial because what happens is that the powerful allies, Britain, France and America, got together and they punished Germany very severely for the First World War. And it lent, led to... Um, terrible unemployment, terrible conditions in Germany during this period immediately after the First World War. In fact, Germany has a revolution and a democratic republic known as the Weimar Republic takes control. And there's, this is, runs Germany with a very careful balance of power. And there's a lot of arguments against what's going on with the Weimar Republic. The Nazis in particular complain that there's a lack of strong leadership Meanwhile, the Germans are still having to pay reparations for the First World War. There's very little money. There's huge unemployment. And it all gets made infinitely worse with the Great Depression. This is when the American stock market crashes uh, in 1929. Now, everyone suffers from uh, economic collapse in this period. But because of what happened with the Versailles Treaty after the First World War, Germany suffers more badly than anyone else. So it's within this context I want to talk to you about the brown shirts. 
And let me just read something out to you. These are the words of a song called the Horst Vessel Lied from 1930. This is the official anthem of the Nazi party. The flag on high, the ranks tightly closed. The SA is marching with quiet, steady step. Comrades shot by the Red Front and reactionaries march in spirit within our ranks. Comrades shot by the Red Front and reactionaries march in spirit with our ranks. Clear the streets for the brown battalions. Clear the streets for the storm division. Millions are looking upon the swastika full of hope. The day of freedom and of bread dawns. Millions are looking upon the swastika full of hope. The day of freedom and of bread dawns. For the last time the call to arms is sounded. For the fight we all stand prepared. Already Hitler's banners fly over all streets. The time of bondage will last but a little while now. Soon Hitler's banners will fly over all streets. The time of bondage will last but a little while now. Now, the key bit of this is all quite frightening stuff, isn't it, James? It certainly is, yes. The key bit here are we're talking about the SA is marching with quiet, steady step and there's reference to the Brown Battalions and the Storm Division. All of this refers to what became known more broadly as Hitler's brown shirts or the Storm Abteilung, who were the storm troopers. They were a violent paramilitary group attached to the Nazi party and they became um, infamous rather than famous because of the way they operated outside the law and because of how they used violence to intimidate um, those who were standing up to Nazi growth. They were launched in Munich in 1921 and they become immensely popular. And you get a little sense of that from a description of someone who went to one of Hitler's rallies. So Hitler is going to rallies all over Germany. He's being dynamic, he's being modern, he's flying all over the place. He's presenting himself as a solution to all of Germany's problems. And at the same time, he's blaming the Jews, he's blaming communists, he's blaming the Weimar Republic, and he's blaming the Treaty of Versailles for all of Germany's ills. So here's a little account of someone who was at one of Hitler's, Hitler's meetings. At one of the early congresses, I was sitting surrounded by thousands of SA men. That's the brown shirts. As Hitler spoke, I was most interested at the shouts and more often the muttered exclamations of the men around me who were mainly workmen or lower middle class types. He speaks for me. Ach Gott, he knows how I feel. One man in particular struck me as he leant forward with his head in his hands and with a sort of convulsive sob, he said... God be thanked. He understands. So these are the kind of people that join the brown shirts. They totally get what Hitler is talking about. They believe he is the solution. And what happens is these numbers of brown shirts grow. In August 1929, there are 30,000 of them. By January 1932, there are 291 thousand of them. And then two years later, in January 1934, there are three million members of the brown shirts. And what's important is to realise just how violent these people were. And I managed to find a coroner's report of a man who was beaten up and eventually murdered by a group of brown shirts. This happened in 9th of August 1932, about three kilometres from the Polish border. There's a guy called Konrad Pietruch. And this is the, uh, this is the, this is the report. 
all in all marked by 29 wounds, of which two were relatively unimportant. The corpse was extremely bruised around the neck. The outer carotid artery was completely shredded. The larynx displayed a large hole. Death resulted from suffocation. And it goes on and on, and it's very, very gruesome reading. He's received heavy blows on his head with a dull-edged hatchet or a stick. Other wounds look like he was hit in the face with a billiard cue. So that gives you a sense of just how violent these people were and the whirlwind of politics that was going on in Nazi Germany as Hitler rose to power. So I think what I'm going to talk about now is the way in which Hitler deals with the SA or the Sturm Abteilung, these, these stormtroopers. And the important thing, the point that Sam's making, is that this paramilitary group that was set up in 1921, led by a man called Ernst Röhm, um, to attack political rivals, basically gets out of hand. And with several million of them, although they've been very useful, they've been important to getting Hitler into power in January 1933, and in securing something called the Enabling Act in March 1933. And this was basically an act that set up Hitler as a dictator. In other words, it allowed him as Chancellor to make laws without the Reichstag, so without the Parliament effectively. And fundamentally, it meant that he overrode the Weimar Constitution. But by 1934, Hitler wanted to get rid of this organisation, these brown shirts, because of the kind of things that Sam was describing earlier on, the violence. But it wasn't just the violence. It was also the fact that the SA were demanding that the Nazis introduce major social change. And the problem is that Hitler felt that these left-wing ideas would not go down well with the people upon whom his power was properly based. So Nazis appealed to industrialists, to wealthy businessmen and to the middle class. And so this was in conflict with the kind of demands that the SA were making for social reform. Also, the fact that there were several million members of the SA it meant that they were actually much bigger than the army. And one of the things that Hitler was worried about was that he didn't want the army to become worried by the power of the SA and attempt to overthrow him. And he, basically, Hitler needed the army in order to pursue his ambitious foreign policy. And all of that leads to World War II. And also, the army had intervened fantastically in Weimar to take over power. And Hitler believed that the SA was the only group that could basically stop him achieving what he really wanted to achieve as dictator. And this led to something called the Night of the Long Knives, which is also known as the Rome Purge. In other words, the purge that got rid of their leader, Ernst Rome, and it's also known as Operation Hummingberg. And it was a purge that took place between the 30th of June and the 2nd of July 1934. Now, Hitler had orchestrated it, urged on by some of his key henchmen, 
Hermann Göring, Heinrich Himmler. And what it did was it basically took out and assassinated certain key people who were leaders of the SA, chief of them, Röhm himself, the SA's chief of staff and one of Hitler's longtime allies and supporters was executed in this way. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. So on the 30th of June 1934, Hitler orders the SS, in other words, his personal bodyguards, to murder around 400 people. And he also wanted them to eliminate the previous Chancellor, Kurt von Schleicher. On the 3rd of July 1934, once this had all happened, the Reichstag, so the Parliament, passed a law that basically legalised the Night of the Long Knives because what it was arguing in a sort of very sort of propaganda-based way, it was arguing that the Night of the Long Knives could be justified because it destroyed opposition to Hitler within the Nazi party. It gave power to the brutal SS which became very important to the Nazi party in running the dictatorship. And also it meant that potential opponents in the future wouldn't rebel against the regime because they knew how terribly they would be dealt with. Now, on the 2nd of August 1934, President Hindenburg dies. Hitler doesn't hold an election to replace him. Instead, he names himself Chancellor head of the army and president. And this is when he becomes known as the Führer or the leader, which basically makes him the absolute ruler of Germany. It also means, this putsch that he does, it means that he ensures the loyalty of the army. He increases his popularity with them by eliminating the SA. The army has to swear a personal oath of allegiance to him. And all of this builds with conscription and rearmament to make the army 
absolutely pivotal in what he wants to do. Now, it wasn't only the German propaganda that was presenting the Knight of the Long Knives in a positive light. In actual fact, if you have a look at the Daily Mail newspaper at the time, it also shows Hitler's actions in a very favourable way. And I'm reading here from an article dated the 2nd of July, 1933. Herr Adolf Hitler, the German Chancellor, has saved his country. Swiftly and with exorable severity, he has delivered Germany from men who had become a danger to the unity of the German people and to the order of the state. With lightning rapidity, he has caused them to be removed from high office, to be arrested and put to death. The names of the men who have been shot by his orders are already known. Hitler's love of Germany has triumphed over private friendships and fidelity to comrades who had stood shoulder to shoulder with him in the fight for Germany's future. What's extraordinary about this is the way in which Britain, from the perspective of this newspaper, was viewing Germany and Hitler's act in a very favourable light. And it actually makes us think about the relationship between Britain and Germany in the years leading up to the Second World War. So there we are. We have these brown shirts and we can see just how important they are in helping us understand how Hitler became Chancellor, both in their support for him and then in the way that he got rid of them in the Night of the Long Knives. It's also very useful in helping us understand techniques later used in Nazi Germany throughout the Second World War for repression and control. The way Hitler uses the SS um, is very much inspired by a lot of the tactics used by the SA, the stormtroopers, early on in Nazi history. And also the Gestapo, the secret police. And then on, it helps you understand how the police and the courts were used to control Nazi Germany and also the concentration camps. So the brown shirts really are a very important thing to help us understand. One key thing to know about it, though, is even though Hitler killed many of the leaders of the stormtroopers in the Night of the Long Knives, they still remained a significant power within the Nazi party. They still became really important to helping spread the word of Nazism. And it's also worth bearing in mind that although they did use a great deal of violence, there was also a great deal of concession and compromise and very clever politics which went on and that helped Hitler secure power. So it wasn't just brute force by any stretch of the imagination. Now we've got our traditional little quiz to see if you've been listening. First up, what was the name of the democratic government which ran Germany in the aftermath of the First World War? Number two, who was the leader of the brown shirts? Number three, what was the name of the Nazi party official song? Number four, what was the enabling act? Number five, what was the official name of the brown shirts? Number six, when did President Hindenburg die and what happened next? Well, I hope you get on with those answers, guys. If not, go back and listen. I promise you they're all in the podcast. And James, have we got a little task to leave people with? We do have a little task, Sam. Now... What we would like you to do is to write a newspaper article about the Night of the Long Knives. Now, it can either be a piece of Nazi propaganda defending the event, or it can be a British newspaper that is critical of the violence that took place. You take your pick. 
Mm, good luck with those. Do please check out historiesoftheunexpected.com and find us on social media. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. We'd love to make friends with every single one of you. But thanks so much for listening again, guys. We've got much more good stuff coming your way soon. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.